Welcome to Practical Wisdom, a weekly podcast about ancient Greco-Roman philosophy. I'm your host, Massimo Pigliucci. Today's reading is from Cicero, Tusculan Disputations 1, 9, 10. Quote, The first thing, then, is to inquire what death, which seems to be so well understood, really is. For some imagine death to be the departure of the soul from the body. Others think that there is no such departure, but that soul and body perish together, and that the soul is extinguished with the body. There is great dispute even what the soul is, where it is, and whence it is derived. Empedocles imagines the blood, which is suffused over the heart, to be the soul. To others, a certain part of the brain seems to be the throne of the soul. Dicearchus, in that discourse of some learned disputants held at Corinth, asserts that there is in fact no such thing at all as a soul, but that it is a name without a meaning, and that it is idle to use the expression animated beings, that neither men nor beasts have minds or souls, but that all that power by which we act or perceive is equally infused into every living creature, and is inseparable from the body, for if it were not, it would be nothing. Nor is there anything whatever really existing except body, which is a single and simple thing, so fashioned as to live and have its sensations in consequence of the regulations of nature. Unquote. The first book of Cicero's Tusculan Disputations is devoted to the question of whether we should be concerned about death. As he says at the beginning of this quote, pertinent to that question is an investigation into the nature of the soul. What do we mean by that word exactly? He then goes on mentioning a number of views about the soul proposed by different philosophers and schools of thought. The first opinion, that death itself is the departure of the soul from the body, is clearly Plato's view, though he is not explicitly mentioned. The second scenario, that the soul dies with the body, is the standard stoic take on the issue. Cicero then mentions the two prevalent positions about the location of the soul. According to Empedocles, one of the pre-Socratic philosophers, the seat of the soul is the heart, a conclusion shared also by the Stoics. The alternative is that the soul is actually situated in a part of the brain, a conclusion that was later upheld by Galen, Marcus Aurelius' personal physician. The last bit is extremely interesting, as it expounds at some length the theory of a lesser-known philosopher, Dicearchus of Messana in Sicily. Dicearchus was a philosopher, geographer, and natural historian. We know that he wrote a number of books, including Life of Greece, Measurements of Mountains, Constitutions, and of course the one referred to by Cicero, On the Soul. Only fragments of Dicearchus's work remain, the one we are reading today being an example. What is interesting is that Dicearchus is proposing a very modern theory of the soul, like a number of contemporary philosophers of mind and cognitive scientists, he is simply saying that there is no such thing as the soul at all, and that our ability to act and perceive things is an inherent capacity of our body. Modern authors, accordingly, call it embodied cognition. Even though Cicero presents Dicearchus' theory as distinct from the standard Stoic account, the differences are more apparent than real. According to the Stoics, the soul is whatever part of the body is in charge of mental functions, especially the most advanced ones, like what modern neuroscientists refer to as the executive function of the brain, located in the frontoparietal lobes. 
The Stoics were wrong about the anatomical location of such function, erroneously thinking it to be the heart. Accordingly, they were chastised for this by Galen. Nevertheless, they got the basic idea right. If by soul we mean whatever causes the mental life of people and animals, then that thing is indeed made of matter, and it will die with the body. Cicero himself did not, in fact, believe this. In his writings, he considers the various options, but seems to prefer the classic Platonic account of a disembodied soul that survives death. This, of course, is still the belief held by many people today, certainly by all those who recognize themselves in the mainstream religions of Christianity and Islam, and by others as well. However, as a scientist myself, I have to say that in my opinion, the Stoics and the Searchers were much closer to the mark. I see neither good reason nor evidence to subscribe to the Platonist or Christian views on this. Regardless, as Cicero points out, there are obvious consequences stemming from what conception of the soul one accepts. Clearly, if you follow the Stoics and the Tearchus, then you have to conclude that there is no afterlife. Death is the end of consciousness and there simply won't be any further experience for us to be had. But if you opt for the Platonic or Christian views, then that opens up the possibility of the survival of consciousness and of a continued existence for us as individuals. However, notice that just because one believes in the immortality of the soul, it doesn't follow that one knows what is actually going to happen to it. For a Christian, there will be some sort of sorting done by God after which the soul, never to be embodied again, will get to live eternity either in the presence or the absence of God. But Plato thought that the soul will eventually join a new body through a process of reincarnation, and that it will forget much or all of what had happened to it in the previous iteration. Needless to say, my opinion is that both scenarios are imaginary and arbitrary, with no evidence or good argument that could possibly be brought up in favor of either. Thank you for listening to Practical Wisdom. We will return next week, fate permitting.